Welcome to the Rock Church Audio Podcast. We are so glad that you joined us today. Rock Church is located on Harrison Avenue between Mulford and Perryville Roads in Rockford, Illinois. Now let's join Pastor Jared with today's message. So Luke chapter 10, we'll be looking at verses uh, 30 through 37. And uh, this is the portion where Jesus starts to tell the story of the Good Samaritan. And it begins this way in verse 30. Then Jesus answered and said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a certain priest came down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at that place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. On the next day when he departed, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said to him, Take care of him, and whatsoever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And he, that being the lawyer, said to Jesus, He who showed mercy on him. And then Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. You know, so this morning, as we are looking at uh, the parable of the Good Samaritan, we are looking at perhaps one of the most well-known stories in the Gospels. It's so well-known that it is well-known even outside of the church, that as you engage with people outside the confines of the church grounds, that when you mention the story of the Good Samaritan, there's a level of familiarity and understanding that they have. In fact, the parable of the Good Samaritan is so ingrained within the fabric of our culture, if you Google the term Good Samaritan, uh, you will immediately discover that there are approximately 25 hospitals in our country with the name Good Samaritan in it. There is even a Good Samaritan RV club. Yeah, it's springtime, right? It's start to think about these kinds of things. But this Good Samaritan RV club provides uh, a campground discount to its members for helping one another. As a society, we have Good Samaritan laws. These Good Samaritan laws protect those who would help others who are injured and in need, and the laws encourage people to respond to emergency situations without the fear of getting sued. So in general, our society believes that being a good Samaritan is a good thing and that it is a good thing to help people in need. But it's, it's not just a call to good deeds. Because like every parable that Jesus shares, there is a spiritual and a moral truth 
that is being revealed. I'll remind you that the whole process of Jesus sharing this story started with a question. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? So there is both a now application to this story, but there is also an eternal perspective that must be a part of our interpretation. Because it's not just about doing good deeds, but rather last week we were reminded that this story reminds us of a spiritual truth that, that, re, that, 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 that declares what our highest priority is to be in this life, and that is to love the Lord your God. And then our next priority is to love our neighbor as ourself, and that the coming of Christ, and then the sacrifice on the cross, and the resurrection that we are about to celebrate in just a couple of weeks is something that declares and reminds and affirms that the love of God has destroyed all barriers that has separated us from Him and us from one another. So we cannot just interpret this parable as a call to good works, but we must understand that the motivation behind the good works is that God has destroyed every barrier that has separated us from Him and from one another. And He did so because he loves us. And now as Jesus shares this story, He is essentially saying, you need to love the way that I have loved you. Be a barrier-breaking-down kind of people. And it's important for us to remember this. Because it reveals the heart that should exist behind the things that we do. So I want to caution us. Uh, you know, this parable, like every other thing that we read in the Bible, is, is, is not for the sole purpose of gaining knowledge. But rather, it wants to produce a change and a transformation within us that causes us to respond like Him toward our fellow man. And Jesus provides three examples you know, that reveal this spiritual and this moral truth that He is wanting us to comprehend. You know, the first example is, is, is the example of the priest. Here we have a traveler in crisis. Verse 31 says, And now by chance a certain priest came down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So who's the first one to arrive on the scene? It's a priest. And, and I think that as Jesus is telling the story, the, the hearers have to think, okay, this is a good thing. The right person is the first to come. Because in the Jewish culture, a priest was a very important person, obviously. The priest, because of his office, because of his responsibility, was a symbol of hope. And I think the hearers had to be thinking, alright, our guy is going to be the hero. But instead of rescuing the man, Jesus says he passed by on the other side. 
It's like he, he went all the way to the other lane and kept on going. He deliberately put safe distance between himself and the dying man. And I think this had to be confusing based upon the mindset of the day. But, but, but Jesus is wanting, again, to reveal a spiritual truth that the nation needed to comprehend. And beginning to understand that truth starts with maybe some speculation in regards to why did the priest go to the other side and separate himself from the dying man? Well, we can draw some conclusions the first one is this, maybe he was afraid of becoming ceremonially unclean. According to Numbers 19.11, if he touched a dead body, uh, he would be unclean for seven days. And that along with Leviticus 21.1, if he was unclean for seven days, he would not be allowed to enter the temple during that period of time. So I think that he went to the other side and kept going on his way because he perhaps just said, I don't want to become unclean. You know, but then there could have been another motive. He could have been concerned for his own safety because in his mind it would have been a reasonable con conclusion to draw that I too could be robbed. He didn't know if the thieves, the attackers, had, had moved on or if they were waiting in ambush. So the, the road from, from Jerusalem to Jericho was 17 miles long, and there was a 3,000-foot descent that would take place along this journey, and it was really more of a path than a road. You've got to kind of take the picture in your mind of what we think a road is and throw it out because this is not what the traveler was dealing with. He was dealing with more or less just a dirt path, oftentimes with rocky cliffs on both sides that created plenty of opportunity to come under attack. So perhaps he was concerned for his own safety. So we can see how he's justifying within his own mind his response. Well, I want to be responsible and I want to stay safe. But whatever his reasons were, they serve as a teachable moment for us. Because the response of the priest reveals that how our hearts can adopt a wrong focus and a wrong motive and a wrong priority because Jesus is making it very clear. His personal responsibility and safety were not to be His highest concern in that moment. And you know what? Before we look down at the priest, we got to look at ourselves because don't we do the same thing sometimes? So what the the priest had done is he had elevated something higher than the most important value that was placed right in front of him. We can say this, he elevated his dogma or his theology, the law, his responsibility above responding compassionately 
and in love to help the man who was in need. And, and before you think that Pastor Jared doesn't believe theology is important, know this, this is what I am saying. Our theology, the creed that we live our life by, is something that must be both consistent but not in competition with the way that we live. Rather, they are to work in harmony and not in conflict. You could put it this way. He had elevated the letter of the law over the spirit of the law. You know what? We need to do the same thing in those unexpected moments. Because you know what? There are times when God will just change your plans. There are times when God will put you in a situation to remind you what is the highest priority. Because our faith should cause us to rally around those who are hurting and in crisis above what is convenient. Not to pass by on the other side of the road. And I'm going to give you something that I think you're going to probably want to chew on for the rest of the afternoon, okay? Because this is the target. You know, this, 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 this is the, uh, you know, a statement that I think is going to, you know, kind of help us discern those moments that come upon us and, and, and how we should respond and help pre prevent us from responding like the priest did. Biblical compassion never pits truth against love. How does God call us to respond in those unpredictable moments? Biblical compassion never pits truth against love. You know, what is the greatest commandment? You know, love the Lord your God and then love your neighbor as yourself. Priest, you got somewhere to go. You got something to do. Guess what? To love is a higher priority than your assignment and responsibility in the moments to come. I thought about this for a second. I thought, you know, I wonder what would happen on a Sunday morning if while on my way here, I discovered somebody in crisis and threw my Sunday morning schedule out the window to pull over and to help them, and then perhaps even was delayed in arriving to church at at, on time. Or maybe even wasn't available to fill the pulpit. You know, what would that produce in my heart, and what would that produce in yours? It's kind of a modern day context here. You know, it would mess us up, wouldn't it? Because I'll guarantee you, while I was helping that person, I would be thinking, oh boy. And I guarantee you that, that maybe just a couple of you would think this. Well, don't you know it's pastor's responsibility to be behind the pulpit? Where is he? How irresponsible. I know only a couple of you would think that. 
But the Lord just reaffirmed in my heart that to have His compassion and to live it out means that truth and love are never pitted against each other. And you know, it's not just while we're on the way to church on Sunday morning, but it is in every context. And I, wanna, I want to, to speak about a specific context where I think we need to be particularly on guard in relation to that. And it is how we rally around people who are in crisis and how we measure our response and the words that we speak to them. Because some of us have a default setting in that as we respond, we become very motivated by the prospects of fixing the problem. We become solutions-oriented. We are very well-intentioned. We, we want to see the person helped, and we want to see them move on. And, and then because of that, we become very solutions-oriented. We believe there's no problem that a good formula can't fix. So we want to identify the problem, and we want to apply the biblical solution. And you know what? Jesus didn't always respond that way. I was reminded of this um, this week from John chapter 11. We're going to go there in just a second. Jesus was discerning. He sized up the moment. He, he saw what the right response was and he did it. He wasn't what I told them on Thursday night. A one-trick pony. Because in John chapter 11, we see really this incredible event unfold. Jesus is friends to Mary and to Martha and to uh, their brother Lazarus. Jesus is far away from where they live and they send word Lazarus is sick, you've got to come. And it says Jesus took his time. He delayed. <laughs> Lazarus is not improving, and ultimately he dies. And, and word comes. And then Jesus arrives. And as, as, as he arrives, Mary meets him. Or rather, Martha meets him first. In verses 23 through 27. You know, and there we see Jesus operating in the way that we oftentimes choose to operate, or maybe the only way that we know how to operate, in that he comforts her with the promises of God in verses 23 through 27. He reminds her of resurrection, he reminds her of his power, he reminds her of the promises of God. And it says she was encouraged, her faith was built. And then shortly thereafter, Mary comes. And Mary's response is completely different. The Word says that she threw herself at the feet of Jesus, weeping. And you know what? Jesus didn't respond to Mary the way that He responded to Martha. 
John writes, he wept with her. This, this, this is what I want to help you see right now as we see this interaction between Jesus and this family. For one, he shares promises filled with hope and it meets the need. For the other, she falls at his feet weeping. And to meet her need, he weeps with her. In other words, they were just kind of in two different places in relation to the pain they were feeling and the way they were responding to the circumstance in front of them. And for Mary, Jesus took a step toward her pain. And he wept with her. He made himself low. He got right down in the chaos and in the crisis with her. And he occupied that space. Because you know what? That's what Jesus does. You know, he sat in the glory of heaven. And he lowered himself by coming to the earth and taking on manhood. So that we could have a Savior. So that as our Lord, He could identify with us in our moment of need. And He still does that today. He gets down and He weeps with people. Mary needed compassion and empathy in the midst of her pain. Not a sermon or a lecture. And in this exchange, Jesus is picking her up. He's drying away her tears. He's reminding her that He was on her side. And in verse 33 it says, He groaned in His spirit. He felt the pain. It says He was troubled. But then I love the question of verse 34. Because this is a question that only Jesus can resolve. Where have you laid him? <laughs> See, Mary understood the power of resurrection and being reminded of that, she was encouraged and built up. Mary needed to see the power of resurrection at work. Where have you laid him? So Jesus, I just think he just got right down here with her as she was weeping. And he wept with her. And he groaned in his spirit. And then he says, now I'm going to show you what I can do about it. 
And we know the story. He goes to the grave and he says, Lazarus, come out. Lazarus is raised to life and he walks out of that grave. See, biblical compassion never, never pits truth against love, but it also reminds us of the life-giving power of God's love. So that just kind of deals with the context of how we, how we come alongside of the people around us. But I, I want to talk to some of you here today or maybe even at home who are saying, you know what, it's not somebody around me, it's me. I feel like my life is in crisis. I feel like things are unraveling in my world. I feel like I'm in a place where my heart is broken and I'm weeping. I want to remind you of a promise and how God is able to keep that promise because of the power of His love for you. I won't read the whole text. I'll, I'll, I'll give it to you so you can read it maybe in your own time this week. It's Matthew chapter 12, verses 18 through 21. At the end of it in verse 21, Jesus says, and it's a quote from the prophet Isaiah, a bruised reed he will not break and a smoking flax he will not quench. You know, what, what does that mean? A bruised reed he will not break. It's, it's an image of a plant that has been damaged either by the wind or a storm or an animal. Maybe it was stepped on and crushed, but, but whatever the reason is, it is cracked, it is half broken, it is fragile. And, and in the hands of man, you know, that reed will be broken. But in the hands of Jesus, the reed will not be broken any further. Rather, it will be restored. See, when Jesus is at hand, you know, when you sit at his feet and you weep and you bring your need to him, whether you can verbalize it or not, know this. When Jesus is at hand, no one is beyond hope because he does not break, he restores. That is Jesus. says a smoking flax he will not quench this is another picture it's it's an oil lamp you know we don't use oil lamps a whole lot you know in our in our society anymore but you know there's a there's a wick that goes up and down and it's what you light and it needs to be trimmed and and and, and there's this picture of a wick that is that is having difficulty staying lit it's flickering almost extinguished a, a sudden move will snuff it out. It's kind of like when you try to start a campfire. 
you you got the family over, you want to do s'mores in the backyard, and you know that fire never starts on the first try, does it? You know, you light the match, you get the kindling going, and it, and, it, and it goes out, and you do it again, and it goes out. And then that is a, a, a wick that is being snuffed out by the circumstances around it. And then there's this revelation that comes to you that says, you know what, I need to guard the flame. So what do you do? You put your hand up around it, and you protect it. And then the flame is able to burn, and it's able to have an intensity to it that lights everything around it on fire. And that is what Jesus does. He will not extinguish the wick of your life regardless of what you have gone through, but rather He comes around you as a shelter so that the fire can begin to burn with an intensity that consumes the things that want to consume you. And you grow strong. And your faith is built and your light increases. That is the Jesus that we serve. And that is the example that we are called to follow as we come around those who are in crisis or even when we feel like we are in a place of crisis ourselves. We must understand this. Jesus doesn't break the wounded. He doesn't snuff out the weak. But rather because He loves us, He demonstrates a loving kindness and a compassion that comes alongside and then the power of His love that is able to restore and make whole. That's His promise to you. So compassion discerns the appropriate way to help those who are in crisis. And, and I just want to remind us that we need to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Because when we do that, God shows us how to respond. Proverbs 17, 17. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. So as a people, let's be a people who love in everything and who stand in times of adversity with one another. So the next on the scene is a Levite. Verse 32 says, Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked, and he passed by on the other side. So here we see a slightly different response. Um, he passed by on the other side also, but he stopped and he looked. He gazed upon the man in crisis. He, he looked at him and I think it's safe to say that he drew some conclusions. There was kind of this internal conversation taking place that went along these lines. I don't know if I want to get involved. This is messy, this is complicated, and I don't know if I want to get involved. Or I don't want to take the risk. Again, I too could be robbed, or maybe I'll do something wrong as I endeavor to care for the man and make the situation worse. I don't want to take the risk. 
And I, and I, want, I want to put you in the, in the shoes of the Levite here because again, it's, it's, it's easy to look upon the story a couple of thousand years later and to say, well, you know what? I wouldn't do that. But the Levites had very specific tasks and responsibilities that they were given in service to the nation. They served in the temple. Some of them led worship. Some of them maintained the temple. Some of them served as guards. They performed various duties. Everything that needed to be done in the temple was done by a Levite. And and as we put ourselves in his shoes, we have to understand that here is a man that has every duty and every instruction written out for him in the law. This is what you're supposed to do, and this is how you're supposed to do it. And then he's more than likely under someone's authority who tells him when he is supposed to do what he is supposed to do. So he stands here on the road looking at the wounded man, and this situation is absolutely unplanned and unprescribed. It is outside of the norm of what he is used to doing. He's used to being told what to do, and he's used to being told how to do it. Now he stands. He stands in front of something that is absolutely unplanned and unprescribed. You know, some of us live our lives this way. We get very used to routines. We get very comfortable with just a certain rhythm to life. And then if, if, if something challenges that or, or changes that, it becomes uncomfortable. I think that's where the Levite found himself. And in that uncomfort, what was he dealing with? He was, he was dealing with some emotions that are very common to us. The first one is uncertainty. What should I do? You know, life is bringing a completely different norm to me. There's a circumstance in front of me that I have never dealt with before. What should I do? Uncertainty. So in essence, we, 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 we see through the Levite that, that as followers of Christ, there, there, there is something that we need to hold on to and something that we need to become familiar with. And that is this, what do we do when we don't know what to do? Because his answer was to do nothing. And Jesus saying doing nothing is not the right answer. How do we respond in those moments of of crisis? How do we deal with uncertainty that that fills our hearts at times? Proverbs 19, 20 and 21. Easy to remember, okay? 19, 20, 21. I find those things helpful sometimes. Let me give you another one. And I won't quote the verse... You can go look at it yourself. But uh, if you find yourself in a place where you don't know what to do, dial 911. Psalm 911. Okay? 
it's helpful. Proverbs 19, 20, and 21 says this, Listen to counsel and receive instruction that you may be wise in your latter days. There are many plans in a man's heart. Nevertheless, the Lord's counsel, that will stand. So what do we do when we don't know what to do? Well, we find direction from God's Word. And we say that a lot around here. To, we do. We, we, every week we drive you to the Scripture. And you want to know why? It's, it's because they're the only words that have life and power in them. So when we don't know what to do, we find direction from God's Word, but then also this, we surround ourselves with godly counsel. Surround yourself not just with people, but with godly people. People who have gone through a similar thing. People who have experiences that will speak to your moment. People whose lives have been defined by obedience to the Scripture and who have a testimony to share that, you know what, God has seen me through. Surround yourself with those kinds of people. And then, you know what, the uncertainty just begins to not be in the driver's seat. And what God is wanting to do begins to unfold. So there's a response of uncertainty oftentimes when we don't know what to do, but there can also be a response of insecurity. And insecurity speaks to you in this way. Can I do it? Well, I've never done that before. I've never worked with that group before. There, there, there are a lot of unknowns here, Lord. Not just within me, but within an awful lot of things around me. Can I do it? And that is nothing more than insecurity. And you know what? Insecurity is a human thing. But you know what? Christ lifts us above our insecurities. And here's how we do it. Psalm 9.10 Those who know your name will put their trust in you, for you have not forsaken those who seek you. It's a psalm of David. And he's saying... You know what, when, when insecurity begins to rise up within me, when I begin to hear that voice whispering into my ear, can I do it? In that moment, I don't rely on myself, my ability, my experience, but rather, I count on the character of God. <laughs> because He is unchanging. And He is enough. And He is the source. And He's the generous and benevolent giver of the things that are found in Him. So when we seek Him and put our trust in Him, we can have this assurance, we will not be forsaken. 
So our security and our confidence are found in the reliable, steadfast character of God. Because when we're anchored there, we step out in faith. And we say yes to the assignment. I'll illustrate it just with a personal example. Um, a few years ago, several years ago, maybe at this point, I don't know, I get a phone call from Pastor Malone from St. Luke Missionary Baptist Church. Good friend, good congregation. We fellowshiped with them. And he says, you know what? We have a men's conference coming up, and would you be a speaker? On the phone, I'm going, yes, I'd be happy to. In my mind, I'm going, I've never done that before. So he says, great. We hang up the phone. He's like, and he says, I'll call you in a few days with your assignment. I was like, maybe I should have. Like, that was backwards, maybe. But I just said yes. He calls me with the assignment. I want you to present on this book by Francis Schaeffer, for 90 minutes. Oh, Lord, I already said yes. So you know what? It, it just was something that, that I had to step into. And you know what? 30 guys were there. And you know what? Uh, the Lord used it. And that was an interesting day on, on more than one front because after the breakout session, Pastor Malone said, hey, I want to do a Q&A panel. Will you be on it? Sure. So we head into the sanctuary. Pastor Malone is nowhere to be found for this Q&A panel, and it's me and one other guy. Here's the microphone, men. Ask these two guys any question you want. You know what? God used that too. But here's what, here, you know, here, here's what uh, changing the focus does. Because it's not can I do it, but it's just saying if God is calling me to do it, he's going to you know, not put me in a position where I'm forsaken. Last Thursday... I got a phone call from Harry Schmidt, the president of Christian Life College, and he said, our board would like to ask you to be our commencement speaker. I will. I have to text him yet. He might be watching right now, so Pastor Harry, yes. But, but you know, it was just this pattern and progression that just said this. Not can I do it. But you know, because of God's character, will he help me? Yes, he will. Yes, he will. So insecurity and uncertainty, you don't rule us. In fact, I want you to, I want you to say that to yourself right now. In your own mind, I want you to, to, to just declare uncertainty and insecurity, you do not rule me. Now, I'm going to give you a moment to do that. 
And then you follow it up and you say, I belong to the Lord. Yes. You are under His care. Now let's look at the Samaritan. Verse 33. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. So he looked, and he didn't go the other way, but he had compassion. And this just had to uh, turn the crowd inside out. Samaritans were a despised race. They worshipped God incorrectly. And for a Samaritan to be the hero was scandalous. And I think through it, Jesus is reminding us of this. You know, His love for us tears down all the barriers that separate us from Him. And then we tear down all of the barriers through the power of His love that separate us from one another. Because the Samaritan is elevated to the place of hero in this story. Not because of what he understood, but because of how he applied what he understood. He responded compassionately. He acted kindly. He took pity on the man, some translations say. And that implies this. It implies a feeling of deep sympathy. In other words, his heart was moved and he empathized. And, and I think it's a picture just like we saw with Jesus. His heart groaned. He had compassion. And in his response, we see a picture of biblical compassion that we are to follow. And he demonstrated it in this way he opened his eyes. All three men saw the same thing, but only one had eyes that were open. Only one was able to look upon the situation in a way that he was moved. I think in it, Jesus is reminding us that before we can meet needs, we must become aware of them. We must look upon them. We must understand in full what is before us. Because you know what? It is so easy to glance and to go the other way. To see and to not be moved. And Jesus is saying, let your heart See, the other two men, you know, they, they moved by going in the, in the other direction. The man's heart moved by drawing near to the circumstance and the crisis and the pain. So, Lord, open our eyes.
It's like we just sang in the song, break my heart for what breaks yours. Because you see, we can elevate many, many things in our hearts to a place of prominence. And they may not be things that move the heart of God. So the way that our heart responds like His is we have to see what He sees. The Samaritan opened his eyes, but then he opened his heart. And we see that demonstrated in this way. His compassion overruled his caution. You know, let's, let's, let's not elevate the Samaritan and, and uh, you, know, you know, make him almost not human because undoubtedly when he first saw the situation, there were red flags and alarms going off just like the rest of us. I could get robbed do I know what to do? This man's not from my tribe. But his compassion overruled his caution. And the way that his heart was opened was it was not anything but grace-oriented. He came alongside instead of pushing away he opened his heart and then finally he reveals the biblical picture of compassion by opening his hand he poured oil and wine on the wounds and he bandaged them and you know he didn't do that standing on his own two feet Jesus got down and wept with Mary. The Samaritan gets down in the dust of the dirt path that is filled with the blood of the beaten man. And he begins to apply oil and wine and bandages. He opened his hand. He took action. He did all that was within his power to do. And in doing so, he lifted up the man. Because you see, that's what Jesus does. He always takes things to a higher place. Where have you laid him? Lazarus, come out. A higher place. Beaten man bandaged and cared for, being picked up and placed on a donkey to be taken to the inn so that he can continue to heal. He didn't leave him behind. He lifted him up. And in doing so, we see today some of the things that, that want to keep us from exercising biblical compassion. But then we see what biblical compassion is. It's open eyes, it's open hearts, and it's open hands. Destroying barriers. 
in meeting each moment with God's love and compassion. So as we think about that, I want to invite you to stand as we are going to move towards conclusion. Because, you know, today the Lord wants to open some things up in us. <laughs> he wants to open our eyes and our hearts and our hands today. I want to ask you to just kind of bow your head in prayer right now. And, and I think it would be appropriate for us to just physically open our hands. And you can do that by just raising your hands to God. Saying, Lord, open my hands. Open my heart. Open my eyes. You know, I, I don't want to see things from an earthly perspective. I want to see things from a kingdom perspective, a compassionate perspective, a loving perspective. And Lord, I just pray right now you would, uh, you would bring the key that is going to open some things up in us. Lord, open those things up in us, Lord God, I pray. And, and, and Lord, I, I pray that uh, things that have been holding the door closed, Lord. May, may they just be removed through the power of your Spirit. As we step in your direction, Lord, I pray, Lord God, for you to remove every obstacle and to open every part of us. Now just ask the Lord to fill you. Fill you. And now for each of us, you know, there, you know, there are uh, individuals that the Lord has brought into our life who are in a place of, of needing to see wounds healed and crisis overcome. And as the Lord just reminds you of who He's placed in your life, begin to pray for them right now. Lift their name up to Him. Ask the Lord to use you to help them. Choose the Samaritan response. And Father, as we do that, we pray, Lord, that um, we would see the power of your love at work. Lord, you're the only one who can save and transform and deliver and redeem. And Father, we pray that through the response of uh, compassion and love 
Lord, may we see you work through us in that way. And right now, Lord, I just pray that you would cast down every lie that would say it is impossible for things to change. Lord, sometimes circumstances go on for so long. We believe that they cannot turn around. But Lord, we know that you are the God who breaks through. So we pray their heart would respond to you. We would see heavens change. Lord, as we go here from here today, I pray that we would go in your grace and in your peace. I pray that you would watch over us and keep us. I pray that you would bring us back safely and very soon. And we thank you for that now in Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us on our podcast today. We hope this has been a blessing in your life, and we look forward to having you joining us in person for a service soon. Our service times are Thursday nights at 7 o'clock and two services on Sunday morning at 8 a.m. and 10 a.m. God bless you.